The Lord be with you and with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Now a man was ill, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who had anointed the Lord with perfumed oil and dried his feet with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was ill. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, Master, the one whom you lo- who, you, who you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said, This illness is not to de- end in death, but is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Mar- Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he remained for two days in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are trying to stone you, and you want to go back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If one walks during the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks at night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus is asleep, but I am going to awaken him. So the disciples said to him, Master, if he is asleep, you will be saved. But Jesus was talking about his death, while they thought that he meant ordinary sleep. So then Jesus said to them clearly, Lazarus has died. And I am glad for you that I was not there, that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas called Didymus said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go to die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, only about two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary sat at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise. Martha said to him, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary secretly, saying, The teacher is here and is asking for you. As soon as she heard this, she rose quickly and went to him, for Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still where Martha had met him. So when the Jews who were with her in the house comforted her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out, they followed her, presuming that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, He became perturbed and deeply troubled and said, 
Where have you laid him? They said to him, Sir, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something so that this man would not have died? So Jesus, perturbed again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay across it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Lord, by now there will be a stench. He has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd here, I have said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, tied hand and foot with burial bands, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. So Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go. Now many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen what, had done, what he had done began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I got to say, it's a long reading, right? And it's also really strange that there's not uh, any kids screaming out or babies crying or anything. It's, it's, uh, it's strangely quiet. Strangely quiet. Um, what I want to ask today, uh, focus on, is the Word. Our Word, God's Word. And kind of say, what is the importance of a Word? Now, does your word matter? To kind of meditate a little bit on this, kind of thinking about your own understanding of a word, I just kind of have some reflections myself uh, about different words. Uh, one of the ways uh, that I notice, you know, the power of words is specifically when somebody has some authority, right? And one of the most common kind of authority uh, levels that we see is parents and their children. And if you watch closely, and, and maybe you experience it in your own life, where some parents have words that have power and others don't, right? Some, when the parent says, do this, the children do it. And some, when the parents say, do this, the ch children don't. And you can say, well, they're either good children or bad children. But I think that there's more that goes into it, right? We see that some parents, you know, uh, just kind of in the humanness of it all, right? Uh, might threaten or promise, but they, they fail in it, right? They threaten and say, hey, if you don't eat this, you're not going to get any dessert, and then they don't eat it, and then they get dessert anyways. <laughs> well, what, what, what does that teach the child to do? Well, it teaches the child that what the parent is saying isn't what's going to happen, right? Whereas you see certain parents, I see this especially with my oldest brother, who's, who's very good and and his son can be a little bit crazy, but, but when he says, you know, I count to three and you're not going to get any more food, his son knows that he's not getting around, right? And he might have to get to two, you know, one, two, and he starts eating, but he knows the seriousness of it, right? 
And where's the difference in the power of the word? Well, the difference in the power of the word is actually in the one who's fulfilling the word, right? Does the parent fulfill their word, their promise, or not, right? What have the children learned from that word? I think it's one of the differences uh, between sometimes a mom voice or a, a, a mom's instructions and dad's instructions is this isn't always the case. I know it wasn't the case in my family. My mom uh, wasn't, you know, you knew that she meant business and there wasn't any negotiating. Uh, but in most families, you know, you, you, the kids have a lot more interactions with the mother. And so the mother often gets, you know, kind of often uh, tired down, right? There's, there's constant, you know, um, there's constant kind of a assault where the children are always, oh, can we do this? Can we do this? And, and so often the mother has to speak so much and, and try to live so much that, that sometimes the words are kind of downgraded, not because she doesn't love them, but because the children, you know, start to kind of get their way and kind of break the words in some ways. Whereas a dad doesn't have to do that as often. And the dad also isn't, uh, although, again, not always, right? Some dads, you know, give in pretty easily, but I, I know uh, quite a few dads who crying and negotiating and complaining just don't work, right? If the dad says, you got to go to bed, it doesn't matter whether the kid starts crying or tries to do different things, right? They, they, there's, a, there's a clarity there. And, and so it's amazing to see the difference between, you know, a mother sometimes tells kids to go to bed and they don't do it, right? And they kind of, oh, and then the dad says, go to bed. And, and the kids are, oh, okay, we're going to do it, right? Um, there's something about the confidence in the word, right? What it means. And so we see also this sometimes happen, uh, not just with parents, but other people, right? Some people don't speak very much. And when they don't speak very much, there's kind of a, a wisdom that we assign to them, right? Somebody doesn't speak very often, it's, we weigh their words a little bit more. Whereas if somebody speaks too much and says lots of promises, right? Their words don't matter that much, right? They, they, their words matter so little because there's so many that don't mean, right? Now, I'm not saying that we should just speak less and just seem like, you know, super wisdom, you know, oh, if I don't, don't speak, then I'll be wise. You know, that's not necessarily true. Um, I think one of the other things that really uh, cuts into the word or within a, a person is lying. It's one of the reasons why lying is uh, so disordered. It's intrinsically disordered because it, it breaks with reality, right? And we see that line, one of the amazing things about lying is that even if the other person doesn't know that you're lying, it still damages that relationship because you know that you're lying. And in that, it breaks with reality and breaks the relationship and your word, right? Your word, which is that relationship with the other person, right? In your, your words and your actions, actually breaks uh, that relationship by you lying, right? And that's why it's so harmful, even if we think, oh, white lie doesn't matter, or, you know, I'm just trying to make, you know, it better so that it doesn't hurt in this other way more. It still hurts fundamentally and is, is wrong because it, it destroys your word um, in that. And so we see finally, you know, that kind of failed promises of hurt uh, even when there's excuses like, oh, I was going to do this, but then this other thing came up, right? It still breaks their word, right? And we kind of lose confidence in some ways. Now, we have all, all of this experience, I hope, with 
personal experience, right? With your parents, with friends, other people that you kind of experience, you know, some people who their word matters a little bit more, a little bit less, you know, not uh, just, you know, different people's interactions with that. And we sometimes ascribe similarly to God. Now, how do we ascribe God's word to him? Well, do we think that God's word, word is truthful? Do we think that God's word has weight? Do we think that God's word will come to fulfillment? Now, sometimes when we hear God's word, right, in scripture or in other things that people say to us about God, we might judge God's word by our own ideas or limited experience, right? Well, you know, yeah, Scripture says that, but I've experienced this other thing, or, or I think God would maybe do this. I would say, you know, we just want to put, put some brakes on that because we don't uh, want to form uh, what God's Word is by our own limited experience. We want to form our idea of God's Word by who God is, by the fullness of what he's given us. And he's given us lots of words, lots of promises in the Old Testament with Jesus to be able to judge how, how truthful, how faithful is God's word. And so we look at some of the Old Testament uh, uh, things that have said you know, one of the most important kind of Old Testament words that is spoken is right away at the beginning of Scripture in Genesis, where we hear that God said, let there be light, and there was light. We see God's word creative, right? That God's word does not fall to the ground, you know, not being heard or not accomplished being but actually being fulfilled in the very speaking of it that we see very, at the very beginning of Genesis. We also hear some beautiful statements in the Old Testament. God promises in Ezekiel, I have promised and I will do it, says the Lord. And we see in the Old Testament the way that he has done it. He has promised and he does it. I love the Israel's uh, faithfulness kind of statement of faithfulness as well. In the Psalms, we had a different Psalm today, uh, which is kind of the Psalm that we uh, chose to have all throughout Lent, but the, the Psalm that would normally be for the fifth, uh, fifth Sunday of Lent is responsorial or Psalm 130. And there's this beautiful line that I just love praying. I trust in the Lord. My tr soul trusts in his word. More than sentinels wait for, the, for dawn. Let Israel wait for the Lord. And so it talks about this like sentinels waiting for the dawn, right? Every single day the dawn comes, right? We know that it's going to come, right? The sun is going to rise. But even more than the sentinel who has faith that the dawn will come and that he's waiting for it, we wait for the Lord, right? We have even greater confidence than the, that even more confidence than that the dawn will come, that the Lord will come as well. One of the other uh, scripture verses is Isaiah 55, and this is a, uh, verse 10 and 11, which is a beautiful, again, reflection on the word of God. It says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it spring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word 
be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I intend and proper in the thing for which I sent it. And so I love that. It shall not return to me empty. When God sends out his word, he accomplishes it. We hear also in the second reading from Romans, the one who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. And so this is a promise again. Once the one who raised Jesus from the dead is, is promising will give life to our mortal bodies. And we say, well, yeah, that's, that's nice, but I don't always experience it. Well, again, we don't experience it, but what do we look to? Well, we look to the way in which the Lord has been faithful. What has he done so far? And I just want to close with this, or uh, not quite close, because I still have one other thing to go as well. Uh, but the gospel, the gospel today, which is really long, right? But it's this beautiful story about Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus. And I don't know if you caught this, but it, you know, we, we hear that Jesus loves Lazarus so much. And, and Jesus, when he hears that Lazarus is sick, says this illness is not to end in death. Okay? But yet we see Lazarus die. Um, and why does he die? Well, Jesus could have done something about it, right? But Jesus says this illness is not to end in death, but it is for the glory of God that the Son may be glorified through it. And then we hear that Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard it, what did he do, right? If he loves them and he wants to be glorified, you know, the Father be glorified in it, right? When he hears about it, he should be running to them. But instead we hear that he remained for two days in the place where he was. Wait, 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 wait. Why, right? If he loved them, he should have responded right away. He should have gone to intercede on behalf instantly, right? That's what we kind of think. And, and, and we ask, well, why did he remain for two days? Why did he allow Lazarus to die just so that he could raise him up? And we say, well, I don't know exactly, right? I'm looking at it from a human perspective, which says, you know, I wouldn't necessarily do that. But we know that God does. And, and Jesus actually offers us the reason why he does that. He does that so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it, right? Now we kind of say, well, isn't there better ways or whatnot? But, but there is no better way than the way that God chooses. Even though that we might think of other ways that we think are better, God's way is always the best way. And so we see, once again, the Lord fulfilling, right? Jesus promises, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, right? Jesus makes that prayer to the Father. Father, I thank you for hearing me. Hearing me. I know that you always hear me. Right? But because of the crowd here, I have said that they may believe that you sent me. And then he says these words, which should hearken us back, should make us think once again of Genesis. Lazarus, come out. And what does it do? The very words of Jesus cause Lazarus to come out. Wow, the power of Jesus' word, the power of his promises. Now, how do we experience that today? Well, I think we experience it uh, today in continuing to know the promises that God gives us, right? 
We hear that God loves us, that he desires our good for us. And yet we experience sometimes death, like Lazarus, like Mary and Martha, right? People around us die. And we say, Lord, if you were here, they wouldn't have died. But you weren't here. You abandoned us. We lost you. And Jesus says, do you trust me? Say, yes, we do trust you. But if you would have been here, then they wouldn't have died. I say, do you trust, right? Do you trust? Do you trust that all is for the glory of, glory of God, right? That all is for his glory. And so we look at the coronavirus and we say, God, there's better ways to do this, right? You can wake us up in other ways, right? People don't need to die, right? If you were here, if you were really acting, people wouldn't die. I wouldn't be stuck in my house. I wouldn't be being driven crazy right now. I wouldn't be, you know, fearful, right? If you were here, if your word was true. And Jesus says, do you believe me? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life, right? Do you believe in my word? It's more than just believing that Jesus, who he is, right? But it's believing in God the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, and his word. And what kind of confidence do we have? Well, we have confidence that not only did he raise somebody from the dead, but he himself was raised from the dead, right? And one of the greatest things, right? And so his word is creative. We place our trust in him. One of the last things that I'll kind of mention about the masses that we have is, again, reminding ourselves of Genesis, reminding us of the power of Jesus' word, is we have the power of Jesus' word happen within the Mass. That the priest, when he takes bread and wine, he takes it and he bows slightly and he says the words of consecration, right? This is my body. This is my blood. We believe in the word, not of the priest, right? But in the words of Jesus. That at the Last Supper, when he said, this is my body, this is my blood, we trust his word just as we hear, heard his word at Genesis. Let there be light, and it was created. Just like we heard in the gospel today, uh, Lazarus come out, and that it was, it did not remain and come back to him empty, but instead it was fruitful, right? It remained that, that it caused what it said. And similarly, with the Eucharist, we believe that when, when the priest standing in the person of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, speak those words of Jesus Christ, that those take place, right? That his word is faithful. And when he said, do this in remembrance of me, when he said, this is my body, this is my blood, that's what he meant. And that's what was caused by his very word. And that's why we come to Mass, and that's why we believe what we do, right? We don't just believe that Jesus was somebody, that he lived and died, but that he is here today, and that his word continues to endure, and that his word is faithful. No matter what happens, right? No matter what kind of deaths we experience, we know that the Lord is faithful. And so, let us come before the Lord with faith that we have learned from him and from all that he has done.